and welcome to They Made Another One, where each week we scour the depths of franchise cinema, discussing both the treasures and horrors we find. I'm one of your hosts, Corey. And I'm your other host, Liam. And this week we will be taking a trip to the Caribbean with Speed 2 Cruise Control, the 1997 action film directed by Jan DeBont, starring Sandra Bullock, Jason Patrick, Willem Dafoe, Tamora Morrison, and Brian McCarty. It is a film that has quite the reputation about it. Um, I didn't know this going into watching it, but there is a large group of people that consider it one of the worst sequels and potentially worst movies ever made, which was a shock to me. It seems like a bit of a harsh response. But before we dig too much into that, I want to ask you, Liam, what your familiarity with the first Speed movie is. So I saw the first Speed movie about two years ago. I think I was just... um, Two years ago was when I was in my phase of kind of just watching anything I could get my hands on. And so um, I had a huge watch list of movies and I wasn't being picky about what I was watching every day because I was just watching so many movies, so... If I watch something that I wasn't into, you know, what's a what's an hour and a half wasted? And so I think one night I just wanted to watch an action movie. I had heard good things about Speed. I love movies that take place in one location, and Same. um, and and I like Keanu Reeves, so I picked it out. I I enjoyed it a lot. I haven't seen it since, so my memory of it is a bit foggy. But I really dug it. Um, but I think it is a bit telling that I didn't dig it enough to watch the second one, and that's. Probably just because I knew Keanu wasn't in it. I guess I did some research right after. And I knew that it took place on a cruise ship, which just didn't sound immediately uh, engrossing to me coming off this uh, bus. And then the train, because there's a climax with a train and it's wicked. And so I never got to the second one, but um, I'm a fan of the first one based on that first watch, definitely. Yeah, well, I mean, you're not alone in thinking that it didn't really make sense for the sequel to take place on a boat. Usually we save this bit for the end, but I think it's really telling how many people reacted so strongly to this. And while I was skimming the Wikipedia page after watching it, there was a consensus that basically it's summed up in this bit from the LA Times, which said that even children who saw the film felt it was strange that it took place on a ship, quote, not capable of going more than a few knots per hour, and argued that Speed, the original, was more logical as a result. And I don't know if logical was maybe the word they wanted there, seeing as well, it's about a, it's like the, it's... the original is about a bus that can't slow down. So, like, let's not get carried away. <laughs> Yeah, I, don't, I get like it's more logical for like an entertaining movie, right? Like it's a, it's like a more logical premise for to be on the screen, but like it's not it's not a more logical premise to actually happen. But that's not really what I'm looking for with these movies. I, I don't I don't I don't give a shit if it could actually happen or not. You know? Yeah, I, I just mean, want to be entertained. Yeah, certainly. And uh, I think one of the reasons I was so surprised by that negative reaction is that I haven't seen the original speed but i had heard a lot about how great the original speed is and of course you know we're in the middle of the keanu sans right now so i was thinking a lot about keanu reeves and just sort of his whole oeuvre and i knew that like speed was a big thing it was like pretty close to point break he was really having this moment and i mean sandra bullock's a huge name now and you know 
who doesn't love a movie about a bus that can't slow down? So I was like, you know, how bad could Speed 2 possibly be? Um, seeing as it's basically about a, a boat that can't slow down uh, for different reasons, but it's effectively the same thing. And uh, yeah, so before we get into what we thought, uh, a quick summary um, is that the movie is focused once again on Annie Porter, who is Sandra Bullock's returning character from the first movie and it actually opens on her taking her driving test which is intercut with her cool boyfriend alex who is played by jason patrick doing this crazy swat team chase thing and it is in that moment that we realize that she didn't know that he was a swat guy so they've got this tension in their relationship now they were nearing an anniversary and for that anniversary they're going on a caribbean cruise so it's got this tension going into it and you know they arrive on this cruise ship and you know they're having a nice time they're doing things you do on a cruise like skeet shooting apparently which i thought was weird that seemed like a weird attraction to have in a boat you're just kind of shooting guns while people are around i didn't like it uh and while they're there you come across this guy named uh geiger who is played by a simply delicious willem dafoe <laughs> like the most incredible willem dafoe imaginable and he is a disgruntled former software engineer who worked on the software that automates this cruise ship and he's taking out his grudge by planting explosives and hacking the boat and setting the boat up on a collision course with the island of uh, St. Martin, which is in the Caribbean. And he is stealing jewels and doing all these things to sort of make amends for the fact that he got let go from the company that he worked for to make all this software when he developed an illness from it. And Alex cannot restrain himself from being SWAT hero cool guy. And he and Sandra Bullock go on this journey to try to track him down and you know keep the boat safe and keep the passengers safe which i imagine is probably a lot you know like speed one i can't help but assume um Uh, yeah i mean we're yeah we're trying to stop the bad guy and we're trying to keep pedestrians safe uh I guess I can see why they thought they could pull off speed again with when when that part is. They the don't same. do a spectacular job of keeping pedestrians safe, seeing as the cruise ship does in fact crash into a town. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I but we, we can don't get see to that. die, but uh, I disagree. <laughs> okay, yeah, you'll have to remind me. Uh, but before we get there, I just want to ask you know, in a general sense. Liam, what did you think about Speed 2? And I guess, well, first I guess I should ask, are you a big action movie fan? I know, again, I think we've said this before, your your main staple is, is horror stuff, and I don't know how familiar or into, like, action thrillers you are. Yeah, um, not super familiar. And, and when it comes to the genre of horror, action horror is certainly my least explored uh, sub-genre, sub-sub-genre, whatever it is. Um, and when it comes to action movies by themselves, uh, I think it is one of my um, least ventured to genres. I, um, I'm really interested when I hear that an action movie is great and I check it out um, and, I, and I normally dig it. Um, stuff like uh, 
recently john wick and the raid um shout out to keanu reeves again shout out to keanu um i like that stuff uh again i like speed um but i can't think of many action movies that jump to mind as you know some of my favorite movies i don't know if any action movies are right up there um you know mission impossible i don't super dig i i I just think when i'm looking for like spectacle storytelling i i tend to not go to um action movies i do think that they're a lot of fun but i think an action movie normally comes out to me just because of my sensibilities it, it ends up resulting you know if i were to put a rating on it there there's six out of ten seven out of ten movies um i've seen some spectacular ones and some less than spectacular ones but it's not a genre i gravitate to no but it is one that i would love to check out more you know i've, I've really exhausted a lot of stuff in the horror and drama and comedy genres and i would like to get deeper into action movies and so uh i figured you know maybe this is a good place to start by looking at an action movie that isn't touted as fantastic and so i'm not going in um expecting to love it and i'm not knowing how i'm supposed to respond and instead i'm gonna try to dissect why this movie isn't or is working for me and so i was excited for this movie uh for that reason and you know going in with that kind of mindset where you're like hey i'm i'm passing through this genre basically like it's not a huge mainstay for you how did you feel about speed 2 uh Corey, i really i really hated speed 2 oh no um, <laughs> i uh what was my biggest problem with speed 2 dude it was just the bits in between the action were so so cheesy and not in like a charming way i think that was my biggest problem because that stuff was irritating me and that's the stuff that was really bothering me and then can you give me an example of like um yeah a lot of it is just dialogue so we get stuff like um uh sandra bullock and um excuse me annie and alex they're near the beginning of the movie they're they're starting to um realize something is going on and uh, alex says you smell that it's sulfur and annie goes what do you mean it's sulfur and then alex goes it's sulfur coming out of the vent and then that sounds like a keanu reeves impression but it's not and then and then and then annie says i'm never leaving the house again and it's just like it's such like a magic school bus problem of just like oh dude i don't want to be here today and so Sandra Bullock is like, I, I'd love it if she were like a badass. Like we're coming back to the movie. She's our only returning character. She's been through this before. And I'm so stoked to see her like finally take it on and be our Keanu and and handle the situation because um, this is that's not a lot that of movie. No. And that's a lot of why I, lo- I like speed is just we have someone at the center like Keanu who uh, who knows how to kind of. Um, to weave in and out of these action sequences and, and give the audience something to latch onto. And um, and I would have loved if Sandra Bullock were that in this movie, and she's not, and I don't think Alex is. And so I wasn't into any of the lead characters. And so that meant a lot of the action sequences felt flat to me, um, not to mention because a lot of the filmmaking techniques used, I just didn't find worked in its favor. We have some really... Um, uh, what feels dated slow motion shots we yeah. uh um i don't think the the cinematography establishes a setting that feels dangerous and feels um 
active, you know, in speed, we have, we have a bus that's always moving. And so that can be shown by the road and it can be shown by other cars going by. And, um, but here it's really, a lot of times we're just in a big room on the ship and, um, but it's easy to forget the situation we're in. It's easy to forget that we're on a ship that's, that's hurling toward its doom. And so a lot of these things just add up and, and I found the movie just entirely flat and boring and dull and um willem dafoe is really the only i think the only reason to watch the movie if, if i can if i can be so bold is to kind of begin where i'm gonna end up unless i'm excited to hear what you think of and, and maybe you'll you'll point out some cool things to me if you're on that side but as of right now i think willem dafoe is is the only um is the only reason to watch this movie i'll start by agreeing that willem dafoe is absolutely pitch perfect in this movie uh hamming it up in really just the most fantastic possible way really leaning into this like goofy almost villain rather than like he's not the performance doesn't feel very self-serious right so like you're kind of able to have fun with it and it's clear that he's having fun with it um this movie hit me in a much friendlier way than it hit you. However, that doesn't mean I don't agree with most of what you just said. <laughs> I do think that for most of the movie, you don't necessarily feel like you're in active danger, or rather that the characters are in active danger. Um, because like you said, it's very stationary and static, and it feels like there's the camera work is trying to compensate for that, by the camera basically never staying still. And I don't think that's effective. It's somewhat nauseating. And I don't know if that was them trying to lean into the being on a ship on the water thing. I don't think it is. I think they just thought, like, if you make the camera kinetic, the movie feels kinetic. And that's not always true. Um, yeah, and that's a problem we see a lot with with action movies today, right? Where you get these shaky cam movies where this the movie... camera's flying around and... Yeah, this movie feels like a predecessor to a lot of that because, and we'll get into this when we we break down some of the sequences. But it also so the camera's constantly shaking and it cuts constantly. You you don't spend a long time looking at individual shots, so mm -hmm. things are very snappy, but they're not very cohesive right like it's just like oh now we're looking at it this way and now you're looking at it this way and now you're looking at it this way and it just kind of keeps going and to your point about the dialogue and like the general failed cheesiness of it um i think some of it hit me better because i didn't realize that that was the kind of movie i was watching so some of the throwaway lines and side characters kind of got like grins out of me even though i know in my heart of hearts that it's pretty dumb and I think Sandra Bullock is really, really great in this movie. And I think the biggest crime is that oh, she's given hey. nothing to do. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. So, well, and before I get into that, what I will say is that so Jason Patrick, who is Alex, um, I think he would be a really good lead action star in a movie that isn't this. I think you could show people sequences from this if he wanted to get like a different acting job. And they'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, he could probably do this. But I think here, kind of like what you're saying, he's kind of a blank slate. 
and I don't know who to blame for that. I don't know if I want to blame the direction or the script, which isn't great, or if I want to blame him for what he did with it. But it does feel kind of flat, even in its, in its most exhilarating moments, it feels kind of flat. But Sandra Bullock brings this level of like, frankly, like the easiest way to put it, like she's just so charming and pleasant. Like, and she takes all this really terrible dialogue and makes it fun and like silly. And I think that she was just like a total standout. Like her and Willem Dafoe were the two big ones for me, for sure. Um. Yeah. So, well, starting with Jason Patrick, I think it's interesting they cast this guy. Um, was really an unknown before because uh, before the movie came out because Keanu Reeves also has that quality about him right a lot of people would argue and um he he's sort of he's very stoic and um he has a blank slate that this action happens around but he he just has this innate charisma that somehow um a director is able to yield and and it comes through in a really powerful way um in movies like the matrix and uh um, as far as I can recall, speed. I, I don't. I don't remember that he's um, doing anything particularly incredible in terms of you know his acting and his and his line delivery and stuff. But he just he has this charm and charisma. Well, point Break to John Wick. Even like he's just yeah. He's Keanu Reeves. Like hell yeah. Yeah, and it's, it sounds like yeah, and it's and that's just something he has, and it's something that you know you're saying you found in Sandra Bullock, and sometimes that stuff is just it's hard to put a finger on, but it's just there. And um, so it makes sense that they, they tried to do that again once Keanu Reeves uh, um, declined to come back in this role. You know, they, wa- they want to find someone else that no baggage is, is attached to and the audience is just able to warm up to him over the course of the movie and um, uh, well, let the movie. He's an interesting choice because like what people would have known him for Lost Boys before this. And that's basically it. Yeah. And so I can totally get why the director cast him. Um, but but all I can say is just that he he didn't work for me. He didn't have that that thing that whatever it is that Keanu Keanu Reeves has that you know the Keanu factor. Qua. Yeah, I don't know what that means, but uh, it's just um, I I didn't I didn't buy into it. I thought that um, I thought his face was just like he has a boring boring face, and when he's saying things, it, it's not any more interesting and. Um, you know he's jumping around and uh jumping from ship to ship and running and and he's strong but but i'm not feeling any anything radiating off him the way i feel when i see keanu and so um well and you know what makes that so strange hmm. um you'd think you'd be able to feel that because as i learned all the actors did their own stunts yeah dude. so you I'm, should be able yeah. to really feel like wow holy shit this dude is pulling himself behind a plane and you mm-hmm. look at it and you can tell it's him. Like there's no mm-hmm. denying. It's like, there he is. He's doing it. Yeah. And yeah, you and just kind of don't care. Uh, yeah. That's, I think that's a problem that, um, that many action movies risk having when, when they choose big choices like that. It's just, um, sometimes you can swing for the fences and you can make a really bold choice. Like we're going to have all our actors do their own stunts, but then, but then when, when the scene is finished and you look at the footage, it's like, I see this person doing a stunt, but but the stuff around him isn't isn't working to make that make sense yeah. within the movie. You know, like you can see this person working hard to physically do a stunt, but that but that doesn't mean that we're um 
that we're attached to him based on what he's done before or after or, or even during right maybe the actor is so focused on doing the stunt that or not getting um, hurt even like just surviving yeah. the stunt because like this is a dangerous movie like mm-hmm. um and, i, and I so, think oh go ahead well i just think for those reasons you know i, I wasn't able to latch on to jason patrick uh the way i would have wanted to yeah i think like you know if you're watching a mission impossible movie and you see like tom cruise step out onto like the ledge of a building and it's like a giant skyscraper i forget what building he does that on but like and he goes out and you're like oh my god that's tom cruise and he will die if he mm-hmm. fucks this up but you look at jason patrick and you're like there goes jason being pulled by a plane i guess and it just doesn't hit the same way it feels like it should. I mean, you can see him, like, struggling and, like, gasping for air and, like, fighting through the water. And it's really physically impressive. But as a viewer, you're just kind of like, yeah, okay, where is this going? Um, yeah, and-, and, and the bits aren't in between for me to for me to love this guy and for me to be invested in what he's doing. And, you know, maybe he's stoic and maybe he's a blank slate. That's fine. But because the... The charisma isn't there and i wish i wish i could describe it better than that but it is just you know i can barely remember what the guy looks like and what he sounds like 24 hours after watching the movie so because i'm not attached to him in that way the stunts um don't come across great and that's on top of you know me not being particularly a fan of the way they're filmed or the way they're scored or all these other factors that also make it unimpressive you know yeah honestly i think we can start with the opening sequence, which is well before they even get near a cruise ship. And I think it might have evidence to all these kind of problems you're pointing out. Because when we open, we we don't open with uh, Sandra Bullock right away. We open with Jason Patrick's Alex character on a Ducati motorcycle doing like a high-speed, high-intensity chase behind this like ice cream truck looking thing. And there's like a police roadblock set up and, you know, he's bobbing and weaving and you hear like one of his teammates be like, hey, no, like reckless stunts or anything like this time. Like we're doing it by the book, which first of all is like uninspired as hell, but it sets him up as this kind of like crazy daredevil guy. Right. And then we have Sandra Bullock, who is doing her driving test, um, which is a weird choice to make. Certainly. I don't know why. Well, I guess it's just it's just sort of cute, right? That she yeah. spent all well, this and time it's on cute. a super fast bus and that she it's she can't cute. handle herself on her own. It's cute because she's like making it work cuz she's like sort of ranting about past relationships and her current relationship while just clearly not paying attention to the road and she's going on and on and like the driving instructor's like really kind of stressing and she's just kind of like enjoying herself and having a nice time and there's everything in the way that she's like speaking and presenting herself really endears you to her as just like a pleasant person like it's kind of that simple and it's intercut with like grizzled action man stuff which is kind of strange and her driving test ends up coinciding with like the end of this police chase because of her obliviousness effectively and not pulling over when she was supposed to pull over. And uh uh-oh, turns out that Alex hadn't told her that she was dating a SWAT guy and she thought she was dating like a bike cop basically on a beach. And then it immediately transitions into this 
debate that they're having about whether or not they should even be together because they don't know each other and that this isn't working even though they're so close to this anniversary and it cuts in this weird like romantic music for a moment that doesn't feel romantic at all and right before that right as they realize that alex was part of this chase one of his buddies comes up and goes you're a madman shaw and it's like dude we get it she already saw him do this you don't need to remind us that he does this a lot and then they have some ham-fisted dialogue and he just kind of throws cruise tickets in her face to try to patch things over and i feel like that covers the gambit of things you complained about in terms of shooting in terms of editing, in terms of dialogue, and in terms of performances. And the movie basically just keeps doing that, but it's on a boat later. Yeah, dude, no, totally. I think, um, I love that you, you seem to be getting me, Corey. I love it. I uh, don't completely no. agree, but I get it I know totally. you don't. I know you don't. Yeah, it's, yeah. Just It's not ham- hard to understand that why this movie wouldn't work for somebody. Yeah, no, ham-fisted is a great way to put it. Um, it feels ham-fisted to me from the very beginning. I don't like that Keanu is uh, thrown under the bus. Uh, <laughs> right the Thanks, man. Uh, thrown under the bus right under the beginning when she's like, yeah, I just, I just couldn't date him. He was just, he wouldn't give up his, uh, his cop life for me. When, like, in Speed, the whole point is that, you know, he... Uh, He's making room in his cop life for her and they get super romantically involved at the end because he's made space for her. I don't like that that he's disregarded right away. Like I, I understand it's kind of cute and we gotta address what happened to Keanu here, but it just it starts off, it just feels very soapy. Like the soapy relationship stuff at the beginning to me uh feels really, really lame. And um and I don't have the I gotta say on record that I don't have the the same draw to Sandra Bullock that you do. Um, she's she's. I don't know how you feel about her in other movies, but she's just never been an actress who has grabbed me. Whether it's in you know Gravity or or even uh, the first um, Speed film, it's just she's just someone who um, has always felt kind of wooden and um, and again un- uncharismatic to me. And I really feel that in this opening scene when Speed is such a it's such a vehicle for Keanu. Um, it's not, Sandra Bullock isn't the person I want to see back in the second movie. And so... Um, well, I, they, they could make that work if they gave her anything to do. Totally, like, there, totally. There are totally brief perfect. scenes where she's like the one, you know, prying a door open. And there are a lot of moments where she's shown to be really cunning and clever with how to get out of certain situations. But... At the same time, she's taken hostage at the end of the movie, and we completely ignore that for nearly 20 minutes while Jason Patrick does his action guy bullshit. And it's like, why are we even yeah. here? Like, what no, are yeah, we you're, doing? You're right. Thanks for clarifying that, because that that's that's a better example of what I mean. I'm not against this movie because we don't have Keanu and we're focused on Sandra Bullock and she's the one coming back. I, I think that's really cool. I would love to be focused on her character in this movie. But the problem is that we're not. She's she's our link from Speed to Speed 2. But then the movie tries to bring in another Keanu to steal the movie from her again, right? And I would much rather her be a stronger character and not start off this movie being incompetent at her driving test while ranting on about her relationship and um uh that's the way i feel about her most of the movie um i just think that she's she's not doing enough and then our keanu surrogate isn't doing enough and so the whole thing for me you know doesn't doesn't feel great yeah well 
this seems like as good a time as any to introduce Willem Dafoe's character then, <laughs> seeing yeah, as he was yeah. a little bit more effective. So yeah. uh, our couple go on a cruise aboard the Seaborn Legend, and on board they come across this dude who's very angry about his golf clubs. His name is John Geiger, uh, played by, again, I want to keep saying it, people need to know this, an absolutely incredible Willem Dafoe. <laughs> and yeah, a great character name too, John Geiger. That sounds like a 90s villain oh it you know, totally Gruber, john geiger i love it yeah welcome to die hard on a boat everybody yeah and um so john geiger gets his clubs and turns out zoinks everybody those are bombs and we get this great sort of sequence where you can see him kind of rigging the boat with all of his with all of his cool technological wares and everything's big and bulky and very mid to late 90s and uh, he's, you know, unscrewing the heads off the clubs and there's like timers in there and mechanisms and bombs and all this stuff. And there's a great shot where he's like walking down a corridor being all sneaky. And in a moment where the moving camera actually works a lot, it's just like latched onto him through this like winding hallway in the bottom mm -hmm. of this ship where he goes to like the engine room and stuff. And it's all really great. And to, you know, fast forward a bit, what he does is takes over the automated control of the boat. And once he makes the crew aware of his control of the boat, um, he cordons off certain areas of the ship uh, by alleging to have started fires in them. And he locks all the doors so people can't get in uh, or out. And he wants everybody off the ship or else he's going to blow the ship up, basically. And then yeah. if, once they do that, he sets it on a crash course and he uses that as an opportunity to steal jewels, uh, which. Yeah. Well, yeah. You gotta. You, you gotta. gotta. You know what? It was 1997, you had to steal jewels. <laughs> That's just how it worked then. Yeah, it wasn't enough to just want to get back at the ship. In Nothing in this of, movie's you know... enough. This movie has like four <laughs> climaxes. Like That's true. This movie yeah. just keeps going. Um, yeah. So while Geiger is setting up his stuff, Alex already has a bit of a bad vibe from him because while Annie is getting a drink, he just kind of gets a good look and he sneers and he's like, I don't like that guy. Which is like apt because the yeah, guy, he, looks he looks like Willem Dafoe. He looks like long-haired Willem Dafoe, which is an absolute fucking look. But, you know, if I just saw him walking around, maybe my first gut response wouldn't be, hey, it's my new best friend. Yeah, I can totally see why um, Sam Raimi um, would have, you know, seen something like this and been like, that's the Green Goblin, right? Hell because yeah, it's all dude. kind of, it's, it's all here. I, I don't know. I have to imagine Sam Raimi saw this movie. And so, yeah, when I saw it, when I when I hear him, you know, talking over the intercom or making these these uh, snarled grimaces, I uh, I was like, that is the Green Goblin, and I and I absolutely loved it. That was stuff. Yeah, and so once Geiger gets involved, the movie becomes like exponentially more interesting, um, because Annie and Alex have these sort of like relationship based back and forths. There's one at a fancy dinner where they're sort of intercut with these comedic relief side characters that become the hostages you're supposed to be or rather the passengers that you're supposed mm. to be rooting for as things start going kind of haywire you have this guy named harvey who is played by an absolutely ridiculous michael g Haggerty. i wanted to make sure i got his name because he's just his priorities are not great he's a large mustachioed man and he's out with all these folks and he just he's really you know kind of self-centered and wants to get back to his stuff and I think that the introduction of these side characters 
Oh, and the other really important one is this girl, this young girl named Drew, who is deaf and does uh, American Sign Language, which Alex mm-hmm. conveniently also knows. So when he has to save the kid in the movie, that makes yeah. sense. Thanks, he's writers. Good at everything. Thanks, writers. Dude, he's the so he's like the most like ugh. He could just do everything. It's the worst. But I think the introduction of those side characters is also the moment where the movie starts to get really tonally confused. Uh, and it stays mm. that way. In the middle, it kind of focuses on its action sort of core. But near the end of the movie, it starts really going pretty haywire with uh, jokey, hilarious one-liners from yeah, people. With, I think I know and exactly what you're talking about. I just about, yeah. don't get it. But anyway... So we get some great shots of Geiger sort of setting stuff up. You know, he's doing that classic. He has to put a flashlight in his mouth and then, like, look at the dark thing and, like, set up all this stuff that he's doing. And uh, he throws the captain overboard in a rainstorm after beating him with a lamp, which was a sick, sick, sick scene. Yeah, I want to talk about that for a second. That was by far my favorite scene in the movie. Oh, really? Um, Wow. Yeah, it really was. Because I think Willem Dafoe is really menacing in that scene and we see we see the captain fall all the way down and hit the water and i thought they were going to shy away from that because right before this scene we have willem dafoe who's um he's been caught by someone to the the caretaker who's um you know cleaning his room and um and willem dafoe he says let's not split hairs and then he nails him with his golf club in the head and um and the dude goes crashing to the ground but the way the scene is shot you don't you don't hear any sound when the club hits his face. It's so clear that the club, you know, isn't hitting his face. There's no sense of impact. There's no danger. And the music sting that happens in the moment is just like super stock and the fall that the that the, the guy music has is on bad. His pillows. The music, the music is, is, bad. is bad. The choices the, are bad. Yeah, totally. And and the fall that the, this dude has after he's hit with the golf club, it just it just looks super cheesy. You know, um, I don't know if the, this part stuck out to you the way it did to me, but I just think it's so indicative of the movie not having any punch and, and not really having any danger. And even when it's going for these menacing moments, it's not quite committing to them. It's 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 leaning toward um, being cheesy and sort of uh, family friendly, you know? Yeah, there's, and, and there's so, a there's a lot of half measures because it feels like it's trying to do everything so like for example so we set up drew right this like little girl that you know is gonna Mm -hmm. you know is gonna become like someone that has to get rescued whatever and to fast forward a little bit just to kind of get this point home she gets trapped in an elevator while everyone else is evacuating and she can't hear any of the warnings and it gets stuck and she sort of like climbs her way out um no 14-year-old on the planet is as resourceful as this person who realizes that she can climb it using her hands and feet horizontally up the wall and then somehow opens the grate, but we're not here to interrogate that part of the scene. So she's sort of wandering around the ship, and Alex is able to track her down eventually. And then, you know, she just kind of goes back to her parents, and it's, it's over. And the movie's got, like, an hour left. And you're like, oh, yeah. oh, we're done that part. Okay. And I think that the fact that it keeps wanting to get to the next thing sort of makes it feels like they had set pieces they wanted and they weren't super concerned about how they got there because even the emotional heart quote unquote of the movie kind of doesn't really land in the same way because you don't have any attachment to Alex and Annie as a pairing as a couple 
even they state several times they've been together seven months and like Alex keeps trying to propose and getting like shut down by all these various other things. And it's like, why are we supposed to care? So then, you know, they just become like people trying to fix the situation and not like life or death circumstances for all these people you've grown to care about. Right. Like none of it really lands in that way and it makes it feel kind of cheap. So as things go on, Willem Dafoe increasingly sort of flaunts his, like, attachment to the ship, and there's a rainstorm, and there is one really great action sequence of people evacuating onto these lifeboats, and one of the lifeboats gets stuck as the ship starts to move, and Alex sort of crawls out onto it and sort of starts getting people off, and, you know, it's pouring rain, and it's dark, it's nighttime, and there's a great shot of him like climbing the ladder and the rain's like falling down toward the camera. And there's a great wide shot where you can tell that like, Hey, this is a stunt a person is doing and mm -hmm. it looks really great. And, you know, you sort of feel the tension of specific action moments like that. Uh, but it doesn't really carry through to the rest of the movie, which is sort of the biggest issue. And, you know, is it unfair of me to say, and then the movie continues like that for an hour. Um, like it just sort of keeps going. Like, Here's an action thing. Okay. Here's an action thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. one-liner. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, Alex has a bit of a hero complex, so he keeps sort of separating from Annie. And then we just stick with him and the crew for extended periods of time. Well, he sort of commandeers their authority to try to track down Willem Dafoe, and it's like, okay, but Why? <laughs> Like, why do we as an audience want to see this, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's it's a shame because it is possible that um, if this movie had someone more powerful in that lead role and um, uh, had constructed, you know, uh, these sequences, they could all be the same, but but if these sequences were, were constructed a bit differently and we got more stuff like that life raft scene, because like you're saying, I think the rain works really well there. It's super um, atmospheric, yeah. It's very atmospheric. A lot of those shots are good. And so if if a lot of it was working, you know, we'd we'd be okay to see Alex with the crew and, and latch onto him. But um yeah, it's just it's just not happening here. There's also a lot of downtime where they just kind of debate what they should be doing. Yeah. Like you'll get scenes with Alex and um Merced, which is a wild name, uh played by Brian McCarty who's sort of the navigation guy and he's guiding him through the bowels of the ship and they're trying to figure out like how can we get propellers turned back on so the ship can start moving or how can we turn this way or that way and they're just sort of bickering about whether or not Alex should be able to do certain things and then they let Alex do that thing after arguing and it's mm -hmm. like we don't need to see scene after scene after fucking scene and it's like he debates it with Merced he debates it with the captain he debates it with Juliano who's the first officer who becomes the captain and it's always just I want to do this thing on the authority of being a cop from Los Angeles you should let me. They say no, and then he convinces them, and then they just do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I want to ask you, how did you feel about the runtime of this movie? Were you feeling its length? Yes. It's a pretty long film. It's a bit over two hours. Immediately after I left, uh, or rather, immediately after I finished watching the movie, I went downstairs, and my mom was down there, and what I said to her was, that movie would be pretty all right if it was 20 minutes shorter. I can think of a lot of reasons for that. I think... 
that's one of the biggest because as we sort of said there's a lot of moments where they're debating and it's boring but there's also just a lot of bad dialogue while they're talking mm-hmm. um for example i've got some choice quotes down here um once they infiltrate geiger's room to try to track him down and you know he's doing the taunting them via like remote computer thing alex says quote we have a very sick boy (laughs) yeah that silence was about right that's how you should respond to that because what the fuck does that mean first of all yeah like why am i here in this scene why am i here in this computer chair watching this movie yeah, why yeah, yeah, why yeah. am I here today living my life? I have a lot of questions that need answering. <laughs> well, now we're just asking ourselves questions that I have regardless of speed. <laughs> yeah. But, no, I'm with you. It's um, I-, I would take it a step further when you say uh, this movie would have been a lot better if it were 20 minutes shorter. I think this movie would be a lot better if it were 20 minutes. And that's, <laughs> that's not like me just being a dick. Like I genuinely think it's a good um, short film idea. Yeah, like it feels like it feels like a genuinely engaging set piece for an action film, but it's not a premise for an action film, right? And so the whole movie there there are It's not even the only of... set piece for this action film. There's like 5 of them. <laughs> and we'll get to that. That's true. That's true. And and I do think some a couple of those do feel a bit more refreshing, but it still feels like we spend way too much time on this boat um we get to the boat too quickly and we're on it way too long. Uh, uh, one of the Friday the 13th movies has a similar problem when he's headed to Manhattan. Um, anyway, it just, it feels like it's, the movie feels rushed, but it also, it's a movie that I don't want to spend time with. So it's, it's, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really conflicted. I want it to take its time. Uh, you know, we get the, like, we get the title card so quickly in this film. And whenever, it's immediate. Whenever, it's immediate, and whenever I see a title card that early in a in a movie, I I immediately am a bit weary. Yeah, and then we get to this boat, and it's this really cheesy resort music and a sweeping shot of the yacht, and we're we're there so quickly. And you know, I know that this is a movie that takes place on a cruise ship, but I still I I feel like we've gotten there um, without me, you know, sort of <laughs> getting my sea legs. I have no idea where I am, and, um, and there's just there's a lot of that in this movie. You know, it goes on way too long. But it also, like you said, it has five set pieces. So it also feels like we're rushing through each segment of the movie. So I was very confused. Yeah, well, because we don't get to get our sea legs with the characters either. And I know I've kind of said that already, but it's like you're given no reason to care about these people at all. It's a shame because the biggest issue here, I think, is the script, right? Because it is so trite and it is so one note. And it's worth noting, I think, that you had also said how the filmmaking craft doesn't work for you either. Every single sequence that we've talked about that is people talking and it's boring is cut really, really, really fast. And oftentimes the camera will be shaky cam or moving or even potentially on a Dutch angle. And it's like, why? When it's with Willem Dafoe, I get it. Because he's the bad guy. He's quirky. He uses leeches to get copper out of his blood. Like, yeah, we can shoot that guy in a Dutch angle. Totally. I get it. However, this is just people talking on the bridge of a boat. Like, chill out for a second, please. 
And then there are sequences where I think it calls for that more exaggerated kind of camera work, and it's not really there. Um, there's a confrontation between Alex and Geiger where they're in a ballroom that has all of these screens, which looks super cool. All the lights are out. It's dark. It's got this blue kind of tint to it. And Willem Dafoe's face is blown up huge on all these screens. And Alex had been tracking him down with a skeet shooting gun. So he comes in and he blows up a bunch of these screens and just a giant Willem Dafoe face is there taunting him. And it looks great. And if I remember correctly, I feel like it was shot fairly static compared to even a lot of the dialogue scenes. And it's like, what are we doing? Even if that was, yeah, even know, if yeah. my memory is failing me somewhat and it's still shot with that same thing, it's like, you shouldn't be shooting that the way you shoot your dialogue. Mm. Like, it just doesn't track at all. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, I don't want to go through everything that happens in this movie. I really don't. Me I'm gonna give a great felt that way when I was watching. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna give a greatest hits of the set pieces. Um, because it's also more or less kind okay. of a plot trajectory, right? So early on we have the part where they have to evacuate the ship and there's lifeboats. And then there's an ex a extended sequence that sort of cuts between Alex hunting for Geiger and Annie being there. And sometimes she's able to help other people out of a jam. Like she chainsaws through a door, which was pretty exciting. But it becomes like the hunt for Geiger, basically, while trying to get things out of the ship. Um, at a certain point, to get the ship to stop moving, they flood the ship. And then Alex goes and rescues Drew, the little girl, from the flooded basement of the ship. Then they take control of the ship back from Geiger get to celebrate that for about five minutes and then realize they're on a collision course with an oil tanker. So Alex and this other guy, Dante, who is like a photographer for the boat, have to swim down into the now flooded basement of the ship and turn it using the propellers to have it skid alongside the edge of this oil tanker and not crash into it. Oh, and before that, Jason Patrick is sent underwater to block the propeller with a steel cable so the boat stops turning and then annie gets kidnapped by geiger and they leave on a pair of jet skis and that features some reboot level terrible cg on the propeller underwater it's very bad and then once alex keeps the boat from crashing into an oil tanker it is on track to crash into the town. They use innocent people's boats to slow the no. cruiser down, which I guarantee you killed at least one person because they keep sort of making it look like people are able to jump out of the way, but they establish that those propellers suck people under the boat. And I'm pretty sure the propeller's still on because the steel cable broke or right. Cause Geiger did a thing with it. He turned it back on. And there's a guy wakeboarding, and he just hits the side of the boat and goes under the boat, and you don't see him come back up. So assuming not a single person gets hit oh, on land, you know what, at least that guy had to have died. You can't make an omelet without... Cracking a few wakeboarders. <laughs> Cracking a few wakeboards. And then, not to be overdone by crashing a boat into a town, which was not a miniature... And not CG. They just did that. They built a town and hit it with a boat. Um, 
Willem Dafoe takes off in a plane and then Alex commandeers a boat and then he gets into the plane and then the plane crashes into an oil tanker and then the oil tanker explodes. That's like eight too many set pieces. Oh, man. And it's not even worth... It's Dude, not even out. worth the time to go through each in detail because it's just... People are going to say that it's dangerous. Jason Patrick wants to do action hero shit. He tells Annie to wait, and then he does it. Did I miss anything? No, no, no. And I wish I wish I hadn't seen this movie. It's like listening to you podcast about this. Because this sounds awesome. And so I see this. Dude, it sounds maybe, great. Honestly, those set pieces sound I, cool as hell. Either I would dig it more um, because, you know, I'm going into it with like the the attitude i went into the first speed i'm like this is gonna be awesome maybe maybe i'll be able to think it's awesome or i see it for how i see it now and i'm let down but like it's better to have loved and lost and never loved at all so i'd appreciate um uh being so excited for it in the first place but that doesn't happen and i'm trying to pin down why none of the awesome stuff you just described feels awesome because a lot of action movies are set piece after set piece right like yeah. characters are are awesome and welcome but but some movies you know the set pieces they just work and i guess it comes down to filmmaking right and the way they're shot can and, i float a theory the way the stakes are established and I'm, i would love it yeah i mentioned earlier i think it's tone and we've alluded to it several times. Mm. There's a lot of like weird comic relief stuff in this movie. Sandra Bullock is effectively comic relief in this movie too, which is a shame. But the movie cranks yeah. the one-liners into overdrive as a cruise liner is barreling toward a town and destroying innocent boats is when they really start hammering home the jokes. Mm -hmm. Like there's a mother and son looking at a real estate house there's a guy whose car on shore gets crushed by an anchor there's uh the captain makes a joke or the first officer makes a joke about now having broken his other arm and then alex pats him on the arm and it hurts because you know he hit his arm the cruise liner hits the bell tower in the town and in the single weirdest bit of product placement i've ever seen in my life ever in my life possibly ever again i will ever see there is a tiny little baby coca-cola truck with a man in it and the and the boat's coming and he's driving along and he cuts in front of it and he dives out and the truck gets destroyed yeah is that supposed to make me want to drink coca-cola because it does not um... it does not no 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 the employee wouldn't even die for his brand i don't <laughs> no brand loyalty he, that yeah. that driver just needed the money he's a pepsi drinker um <laughs> but anyway i think so that's the biggest problem right is that there's no stakes because it's being treated like a joke and there's also no stakes because this is like the 12th time this has happened in this movie where it seems like mm -hmm. this is a life or death situation and it's not he shoots a harpoon into the back of a plane drags himself behind the plane hoists himself up punches him in the face jumps out of the plane drives away all of that on paper sounds like it whips so much ass, but it's got this weird music in the background. It's riddled with weird one-liners. There's throwaway comic relief characters, and it just keeps happening. So you can't even yeah. care by that point. Yeah, and 
Dude, I wrote down um, when I when I was in storm my thoughts about this movie. I wrote down um, that it's a movie that is reverse engine ship goes through the town. And and as I'm hearing you describe this, uh, I'm feeling like the entire movie was sort of reverse engineered in that um, we came. It up actually was with the way the movie. What's that? Well, in a way, so, it was reverse engineered. Yeah. Um, so the director based the idea on the, on a recurring nightmare he had about a cruise liner crashing into like a town. <laughs> so they ended there and then we're like, how are we going to get the girl from speed there? Right. And so it feels that way, not just for that sequence where I think it's the most egregious, but also a lot of other of the action sequences where I think, you know, they thought, oh dude, it would be so cool if we have this this underwater kiss and it would be so cool if we're in sea dews and then boats and we get up into a plane and but it's just like the the threads weren't there to tie all that stuff together and it doesn't it doesn't feel like there's any heart to any of it which which feels terrible you know because who am i to say uh, whether or not these people put heart into it there very much could have been you know a lot of passion and it just doesn't come through on the screen but but my biggest problem is just that um yeah, the stuff is is good on paper, but when when it's all when it when it comes to it, I'm not really I'm not feeling any of it at all. And a lot of the times, um, the stuff that I know they put a lot of work into, like Sandra Bullock and Jason Patrick kissing underwater, you know, I read that that it was actually them down there, no no stunt doubles, and they're kissing and they're they're having to hold their breath and and all that's cool. But then when you see the movie, it barely looks like anything. There are just a lot of bubbles floating around as the camera aims downward at their heads and and sandra looks like she is you know trying to hold her breath it doesn't look like she's having a climactic moment with the love of her life and i think that's um that's the way a lot of the movie feels where it's just uh these elements that don't that don't jive the way i think the director wanted them to yeah you know it's a lot of incredible effort in service of absolutely nothing ultimately because oh, yeah, it's oh, like even shame. like if you want to think about the undertaking that this was including building a fake town and a boat to crash into that and everyone did their own stunts the wikipedia page says that sandra bullock had to overcome a childhood trauma revolving around water to film underwater Whoa. scenes and it's in service of what this after surviving a traumatic surfing incident as a teenager bullock had to overcome her fear of water to perform necessary stunt work in the film in service of what? And I don't want to... I don't want... You know, there's the chance to get the criticism that we knew going in this movie was Speed 2 Cruise Control. Um, which, I want to reiterate, is a subtitle that is very, very good and works on a lot of levels and is very, very good. But... <laughs> I like it too. I don't think there... I don't think you can take it too seriously right because you know what the movie's goals are and it doesn't reach them like you know what this movie is on paper and in practice that's just not what it is um so this movie on rotten tomatoes it has a four out of what 100 <laughs> and the thing that struck me when i was reading about the reception of the movie is that it is on a litany of the worst sequel ever rankings. 
I don't think this is one of the worst sequels ever because when I think of a terrible sequel, I think of a movie that makes the original film worse in my mind and that, you know, sort of offends me and offends um, my sensibilities and the love I have for, you know, the franchise as a whole. And, um, and I don't feel that way here. I do, I do think it's a bad movie. It's not a movie that I like, um, but it doesn't it doesn't attack the original at all and i also i don't think it's it's uh overwhelmingly terrible i just think it i don't think it has an abundance of bad things i just think it has a total lack of good things and um when it comes to sequels this is coming from a guy who likes the halloween movie with buster rhymes so i I tend (laughs) to not have a problem with with films that stray from the original i think that's why why um i thought and and you thought that this would be such a good idea um is examining these sequels but i want to look at them by themselves and see how they hold up aside from the originals as best we can and so when i do that with this movie i'm not even thinking of it as you know worst sequel of all time terrible sequel i'm just thinking of it as its own movie and in, and in this case i don't i don't think it's a good movie at all and i would really only recommend it for willem dafoe um completionists but no i think i think the biggest problem with this movie is that despite all they went through in production the fact that they actually broke you know a town and the fact that um stunt doubles weren't used and they're actually going underwater i think all that stuff is admirable and i'm sure it was fun for some of the crew to do all that stuff sorry sandra bullock for having to confront your trauma i think it was fun for some of them to do those things i'm sure but um i can relate it to an experience i had in like the 10th grade Corey. i um i went over to a friend's house and we decided to spend the day filming um a, a short little horror movie movie it was the dead of winter canadian winter probably january december or so and we spent the entire day outside you know it was like like nine hours we went outside we constructed this movie from scratch with with really cool um uh you know the camera is close to the ground kind of peeking out of the snow and um and one of us would have to at one uh fall down um this giant snowy hill uh rolling down the hill to the bottom getting covered in snow and ice. And at another point, um, one of us would have to be covered in snow from head to toe and burst out of the ground. And, and at another point, one of us would have to be running through the wood um, with most of our clothes off. You know, we're in a, like a t-shirt and shorts. We're getting scratched up by all these branches. And by the time the day was over, you know, our clothes were soaked. Some of our clothes were ripped. Our fingers were numb. We were freezing. But we really felt like we accomplished something. And this was the this was maybe the... 50th short film we had ever made together um, but this one felt special because we had really suffered for it we had really spent a lot of time at it considering how these shots would be executed and uh and you know it, it felt super method and we were so proud of it and when we edited it together it looked terrible you know you couldn't you couldn't tell that we had been out there seven hours um of the day you you couldn't tell that our fingers were freezing and that that we had been you know um you didn't feel danger when we were running through the woods with our shirt off you know it it looked like a terrible shot of like of a 10th grader running through some woods and um and that's what the movie feels like to me it just it i i respect the effort that went into it you know i try to feel that way about most movies but but when it's on the screen i'm just i'm the 
the tension and uh, the suffering and the effort is just, I'm not feeling it at all. And so I was really let down um, by this. But uh, worst sequel of all time, we'll have to come back to it. I'm not sure. Yeah, I... I, I don't think I could put it any better myself. I think the biggest thing for me is that I was really excited about this movie because of how ridiculously high concept it is. And I just kind of left it, especially now, feeling disappointed. And that's not the feeling you want because it's not, it's not a really, really heated disappointment and it's not anger and I'm not upset and I'm certainly not thrilled. I'm not really feeling a whole lot of anything toward the movie, and that's pretty much the worst response you can have. And I think with that, we would like to thank you once again for listening to another episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at They Made Another, all one word, now on Anchor, Spotify, and soon other podcast services like Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts as They Made Another One. You can reach us via email at theymadeanotheronepod at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, what your favorite kind of boat is, and what your favorite Keanu Reeves movie is. We'll do our best to respond to anyone who reaches out. Liam, where can people find you? You guys can find my film writing alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, on Twitter and Letterboxd under the tag Graham the Mallow. And you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Corey Price, M-R-C-O-R-E-Y Price. And with that, we will catch you here next time for more They Made Another One. Mm-hmm.